Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Vineyard Community Church. As we continue on in the study we're doing through the New Testament, um, as we say every week, we're halfway through, uh, about halfway through it. We've done 136 parts um, uh, from because uh, I number them as we go. And uh, we've gone through the Gospels and the book of Acts, and now we're working through the letters that Paul wrote. We're trying to tackle them in the order we believe he wrote them. Um, and we, we took these on right out of the book of Acts so that we could sort of hold in context the missionary journeys that Paul took and understand these letters being written back to churches that had just been started. The church was a new thing. It was in all sorts of different places and areas and cultures, and they were going through a lot of different situations and problems along the way. And so um, Paul is being asked in some of these letters certain questions that he's trying to answer. Groups have come to him or a letter has been sent to him and he's responding to those um, questions that have come up. Trying to keep the church, you know, running smoothly and dealing with all sorts of new things. Just uh, trying to imagine the church um, without any history to draw from. And that's what they were dealing with. They hadn't, there hadn't been church history yet. They were making it. And so they, they didn't know how to look. Speaking of church history... And uh, I know if you're watching my video, you won't get it on the right day. But today is Ash Wednesday, um, and it's celebrated by churches. Um, uh, and Ash Wednesday is actually something that came about 800, 900, 1,000 A.D. It wasn't an early church thing. Um, and so it's a, it's a church tradition more than, um, than it is you know, something that we can see the apostles and the uh, and Jesus uh, taking on. However, it doesn't, you know, un- undo it. It's a, sort of the start of the Lent season, and it's a, um, it's kind of become a symbolic thing among some churches to do. And uh, and so, if you see anybody walking around today, and you see that they've got some ashes on their head, um, they've partaken in, in an Ash Wednesday type celebration. It's just a Another way of declaration, it's a proclamation. It, it incorporates the Palm Sunday from the year before and the palm branches used to make ash and those are carried on in this great tradition for um, some people and so that's what's going on in the process. But, uh, but we, other than church history, we don't have a whole lot of biblical place to grab that from. It's a church thing, uh, church history thing. So it's good. It's, uh, you know, a lot of people love church tradition. It's a wonderful thing. Um, so that's what's happening today. And uh, I just thought I'd toss that in there. No extra charge. We're going to dig in today into 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians has been an interesting letter, to say the least. Paul tackles a bunch of stuff in the letter that we've been looking at and, and, uh, and, and talking about and pointing up. And, and I, I love the idea of 1 Corinthians and the fact that Paul, one of the main things that he talks about is love. Uh, it's at the heart of that message. That, that love chapter comes in in the midst of a lot of difficult discussion. And what he says is, you know, um, we're going to have issues um, and we're going we're gonna to go and come up to some different conclusions when we study the scripture together. But if we love one another well, it, as long as it's not a main thing, we ought to be able to love each other through that stuff. And allow the spirit of God to work on us to get us to a place where, where the, the spirit is taking us. 
And so, you know, all of this stuff needs to be held in the context of love. Everything that we do. Paul, Paul used the context of love to deal with some very difficult issues in the church. What spiritual maturity looked like. And talking about spiritual gifts. And talking about women in the church. And talking about divisions in the church. And talking about marriage. And talking about all sorts of other stuff. And, and he's woven into that the importance of loving each other well. And that the real sign of Christian growth is loving well. And, and not a lot of other things. And we, it's a great reminder for the church. Because often in the church, we start looking at other things as a sign of growth uh, or a sign of maturity. But it's really love. How well people love is what you're looking for. How, how they're getting that makes all the difference about everything. So these are the things that we've been dealing with. 1 Corinthians 15 um, is, is a very, very important Chapter, not that they're not all important or they wouldn't have made the canon, but it deals with the resurrection. And the resurrection of Christ is a, is a central doctrine uh, or, or theological point that, that we believe in, that we embrace as Christians. And, and Paul's going to take it on in 1 Corinthians 15 because some in Corinth don't believe in a bodily resurrection. And, and so it's become an issue as well. And, and what you're going to see Paul saying is, if the resurrection isn't what we're shooting at, then, then what's the point? Really, that's what he says. If this life is all there is, if there's nothing else, then, then what are we doing here? Because it doesn't make any sense. But he, he, he ties it back into the resurrection of Christ, which is a historical event as well as a scriptural event. And he says, because of what Jesus did, then, then we know that that's where we're headed as well. And it becomes a main point of um, what we believe in. Now, this um, idea um, was found in Jewish theological thought and embraced by most, but not all. The Sadducees were one group who didn't believe uh, in the resurrection, and we, we've already uh, encountered them in the New Testament. And I always, Pharisees and Sadducees, and you can always remember which group doesn't remember in the resurrection because they're sad, you see. And uh, I know you've heard that, but let that sink in, and then you have that as one of those fun facts. All right, the Sadducees don't believe in a bodily resurrection. Neither did the Greeks. And because Corinth was absorbed by the Greek culture, um, that's where the struggle becomes. They, they just don't believe it. Now, Old Testament, we have some verses. Um, Jesus, you can write these down and look at them later. And then we'll hop into 1 Corinthians 15. Isaiah 26, 19 says, Your dead will live, their bodies will rise. You who dwell in the dust, wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning, the earth will give birth to her dead. Daniel 12, 2. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. And there's other verses as well, but those are Old Testament verses talking about the bodily resurrection that we are looking forward to in Christ. Jesus affirmed it uh, in Matthew 22, 29 through 33. Jesus replied, you're an error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage, but they'll be like angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. So while it's a very, uh, very well-founded Old Testament and, and Jesus certainly preached about bodily resurrection, as I said, the Greek culture couldn't embrace it. They didn't even have a word for it. Um, and in the, in the translations, we, they have to kind of piece together some words to even get the idea. It becomes awakened um, or aroused and, and all sorts of other stuff. But the concept is certainly there. And uh, 
And so they didn't believe it, but Paul's got to talk about it because, as I said, it's kind of the, the main event at the end of our personal transformation is the resurrection. It's, it's what we're looking at. It's, it's the beginning of eternal life. It's, it's what's happening. And so he addresses it, and 1 Corinthians 15 is the sort of definitive New Testament discussion on the resurrection. That's enough of preamble. Let's get in and read it. 1 Corinthians 15. There are 58 verses, so it's going to take a while. All right? Now, brothers... That's that's actually my grandson making that noise. Okay. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the Twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are, found, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also have fallen in sleep and Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day. I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? What? 
Uh, with what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he is determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. And all flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And stars differ from stars in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first Adam became a living being. being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the imperishable must clothe itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Hallelujah. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Like I say most weeks, most of that's pretty self-explanatory. So, uh... That ought to raise like 50 questions. Well, we'll, we'll answer five or six. All right. Um, wait, one of my favorite verses is in there. Uh, let's see. Where is it? Uh, this is the perfect verse, verse 51, and we should put this in the nursery. And it says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Okay. <laughs> So Paul starts in those first uh, 11 verses or so, and he, he talks about the importance of the resurrection. I touched on that, as it, uh, as a, and its prominence in the presentation of the good news. In verse 3 and following, For what I see, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that a lot of people saw him at that state. That's, a, that's one of the fundamental, foundational things that we have to hang on to, that Jesus died. He didn't swoon. He didn't just faint. He, he died on the cross for our sins, and then he was resurrected on the third day. And when he was resurrected, he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve, and then, and then to five hundred or so, and to James, and then ultimately to Paul on the road to Damascus uh, in a different state. He, so he did, um, uh, he did die, 
and he did defeat death in the resurrection. The crucifixion and resurrection are actual events that occurred in the real world. They are not mythical, nor are they mystical. They are both scriptural and historical events. And you need to understand that as, as part of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that those things have to be part of what actually happened. Can't be good ideas or good stories. They actually happened. And there were lots of witnesses. That's what the point was being made there of all the people that saw the resurrected Christ. There were not only the 12, there's another 500 guys, a lot of whom were still alive. And, and the power of an eyewitness is an amazingly important thing. And it still is in, in courts today. Eyewitness kind of trumps everything. And here we, he just lists hundreds of eyewitnesses to the resurrection. And so, so that happened. The crucifixion witnessed historical event. The resurrection witnessed historical event. It took place. It's not just a, a story or a myth or, oh, it's a great thing. It happened. It's part of history, and it's as the Scripture teaches that it happens. And Paul says to them, um, because that message is part of all apostolic teaching. We've seen it throughout the book of Acts. When we studied the book of Acts, it was the message. It was the core heart of the message that Paul's bringing back up there, and it has to be included. All right, that has to be a part of what we believe, or or our belief is futile. Doesn't doesn't make any sense. Doesn't have any. If that didn't happen, then then, then you know you saw Paul say, "Go do something different," and that that would be the reality of it. So so this is the 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 central focus is that Jesus died for our sins, and then on the third day he defeated death and he rose again, and that's what takes place. So Paul goes back and covers that again. So this is the heart of everything we do. Then in verses twelve through nineteen. Um, he makes a link, Paul does, between the resurrection of believers to the resurrection of Jesus. And, and he says that because of Jesus and what he did, that's our promise, that's our guarantee, that's what's going to happen to us. That, that he was the first fruits, that he made it happen uh, so that we can all experience the same situation. And again, it's, if, if, if this is all there is, this life, then we're to be pitied among men because we've missed the point. Um, it, you know, it's, if there's something better out there. I always tell you, this is the best deal in the universe. It's, if it's not, then we should go find a better deal. And part of this deal is what Jesus did for us on the cross, and that he defeated death, and that we have life with him forever. That's, that's what makes this a, such an amazing thing. These things happen. It's a part of what we have to understand as being the, the bedrock of what we believe. And so he goes on then in verses 20 through 28 uh, and, he, and he says, you know, and it's true, fortunately for us, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. It happened. And since it happened, then that, that becomes this huge deal for us. It took place. And verses 22 through 26 are, are um, sort of key verses that you should be able to get back to and, and look at from time to time. Because they really sort of clue us in to the events of the kingdom and where we're at now and to what lies ahead. And so the resurrection kind of ties us into what's happened, but that, and then is the doorway to see what's going to happen as well in the process. And so in verse 22 it says, For as in Adam all die, and we already know we've talked about the first Adam and the second Adam, as in Adam all die because of sin, so in Christ... All will be made alive. Because of what Jesus did, we have an opportunity for life. But each in his own turn, verse 23. Christ, the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. And then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So, so you need to have this picture about the kingdom. 
that that Jesus, the first fruits, that part has happened. Um, it's part of the festivals that we've looked at in the in the that the people of Israel celebrated called first fruits. Jesus fills the first three of seven feasts perfectly with everything that he does when he comes. He's the first fruits. He's the he's the the first the one that makes this journey happen the resurrection journey he's the first one to do it he's the first fruits and then it says then then when he comes and that's talking about when he comes back um, those who belong to him go through the process and and so he hasn't come back yet that's what we're waiting on we're living in a tension between the now and the not yet he inaugurated the kingdom when he came the first time the kingdom is completed when he comes back the next time he brings it to fruition and to fulfillment so we're in this in between time that we live in and you've heard me call it times, if you've been here, I call it the now and the not yet. It's a tension. The kingdom is here, but it's not fully here. When you understand what's going on, you'll see that a lot through Scripture. Because he talks about the kingdom being upon us, and that the kingdom is not quite upon us. And it's, so it is here, but it's not fully here. We get breakthroughs, we get tastes of the kingdom now, but it's not fully here until he comes back. Then when he comes back, he begins the process of straightening things out again. And in that process, and, and, and lots of people have different ideas on that, but, but anyway, in that process then, he, he straightens the rest of the mess out. He's come, but it's obviously not perfect. When he comes back, he'll set it back. And then he'll deal with every um, issue that isn't dealt with, finally dealing with death, and then everything gets sort of restored back to the way it was intended. And, and that's what we're, we're waiting on. And we... We get to be a part of that process. Only if you ever think about, we get very uh, focused on the on the temporary. Sometimes um, that's not just wishful thinking. That's coming. You're going to be a part of it one way or another. If you if you passed on, you'll you'll be a part of it. And, and if you're still here when he comes, you'll be a part of it. But but as believers, you're a part of it. You're gonna you're gonna uh, see it. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna witness it. You're gonna be in, it's, you need to embrace that sometimes. See, because there's more than this. Um, and, and, you know, this can be uh, good and bad. This is, this is, sometimes it's wonderful, and some things are really hard. And I think you know what I'm talking about. And as you go through life, you get that more and more. Some sometimes are wonderful, and some's, some's really tough. But we're heading to something better. I always, always say, um, I have these flashbacks to um, being in high school and playing football in high school. And... I hated practices. I hated football practice. It was hot. They weren't nice. <laughs> they worked us way past the point that they should have. This was back in the 70s when they didn't believe in giving you water when you practiced. I can remember being so thirsty and just like, <gasps> and, they, and they kept, and we had this field. Now I'm off on a bunny trail. It's okay. We had this field that didn't have any grass on it. I don't know why they made us play there for practice. And, and so, not only would you get hot and sweaty and be dying of thirst, you'd be rolling around in the dust because it was the middle of summer. And, and, you, and you'd get caked with dust. And, and they, I think they figured they were putting you in really good shape, you know. Maybe they did. I don't know. But anyway, I hated practice. And then, it, I don't even think they do this anymore. Back in Michigan, they had two-a-days before school started. You, you had three-a-days. Okay, Ohio. Well, that's because you're always trying to beat Michigan. Um, I apologize to all you Ohio, and you've been beaten us a lot lately, but nonetheless. Um, I went to high school in Michigan, so we only did two a days. Uh, it was like, and I hate, I, I just never liked practice, but you know why I did it? I liked the games. 
The games were a blast. The games were, they were a blast. They were the best thing. Was the, I loved the, the game. This life's practice. I don't hate this life. I like this life. But it's not nearly as good as the game. You know what I mean? It's not as good as what's coming. You need to be aware of what's coming. And that this is all practice. And, and uh, you know, you, you practice helps. But playing, practicing football helps to get better. There's no doubt about it. But, but uh, the games are what it's all about. You hold that intention that sometimes we get so focused we forget that this is practice. The main event's ahead of us. And, and you need to hang on to that. And, and we're waiting for Jesus to come back. And that's what we, and why we wait. We redeem the time by doing the things that he's asked us to do. And, and uh, hanging out with him and, and experiencing life. To the, to the full extent that we can experience now, which is still good. I, don't, I hope nobody hears me that this, this can be really good. Walking after Jesus is good. It's just what's coming is better. So, just as death entered the world through the sin of Adam, life comes into humanity through the resurrection of Jesus and what that looks like. Then, in verses 29 through 34, this weird verse pops up that people have struggled with for a long time. And it's about baptism for the dead what it means. There are hundreds of explanations and the church has done all sorts of things without this throughout history, including making it a pretty significant fundraiser for large periods of time. And uh, um, what it is, is if Paul is not endorsing baptism for the dead, he's, he's using a cultural process there, that this was happening in the culture. And he makes it clear because he says those people. And then the quick distinction right after that verse is, but we... And he, and he changes, you can tell he changes discussion. Um, the, some people in Corinth had bought into some of this at some level, but didn't get it all. And, and they were apparently being baptized for people that had already died. And Paul's point is, well, if there is no resurrection, why would you even consider doing that? He's not saying this is what you need to do. He's just tossing it out there, as he did sometimes in making a point. Why are you doing that? If there's no resurrection, what would the point be? And, and not that it is a point, because scripturally there's no, absolutely no basis for that. Um, and, and so, but it, there it pops up. But he's not endorsing it in any way. He's reasoning from an experience they can understand rather than giving them revelation um, from God. And, he, and he's making the point, why bother doing all that if, if there's no resurrection? Um, and, and he said, not that it would work anyway, but why is it even a, a process? And then he, he goes on, he said, why would we go out there and fight with beasts in Ephesus if, it's not, if there's not something more than this? Why would we do it? And he says we wouldn't. And he, he goes on and he says that, that thing in 1532. Look, if there's nothing more, if the resurrection is not real, if none of this is real, eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Go do whatever you want to do. What's the point? If, if there's not something more, what's the point? And that's what he brings up in those things. Then in 34 through 49, um, he, the question is, well, what were the resurrection? The resurrection. What will the resurrection body be like? That's the point. And, and we don't, there's no way of knowing for sure, but he brings up a lot of different things. Um, we'll no longer bear the likeness of the first Adam, we'll bear the likeness of Jesus, the man from heaven. That we know to be true. Um, and I have this thought, and people have had thoughts, and you might have different thoughts. There's some neat things that happened, because in there, you know, there's a scripture we read that says, flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom. But you know, when Jesus comes back, he says that he has flesh and bones, not flesh and blood. 
He said, go ahead. I, you can go read it. It's in Luke 24. His body is flesh and bones. It's an interesting change. Something different about the blood in the resurrection, perhaps. This is my thought about the whole process. That the resurrection body is more real than the body you have now. Because at another point in John, Jesus walks through a wall, apparently. He just walks through a wall. Now, how do you walk through walls? Well, when, when, when your body is more real than the, what you encounter, you can go right through it. So I, I, I try this for an analogy. Has anybody here ever seen, um, I know you've all seen, you've seen fog, right? Everybody knows fog. Have you ever seen thick fog that looks like, um, like a wall? And you can see that it looks like a wall of, and from a distance, it looks like a solid mass of wall. But when you get up to it, you can walk right through it. And the reason you can walk through it is that your body is more real than that fog. It has more depth. It has more. It can walk right through it. You're more real than that. Well, I believe, see, that the resurrected body, because people think, well, then is Jesus kind of like a ghost? I don't think so uh, at all. That's why you can walk through walls. I don't think you're less real. I think you're more real. And so the resurrection body is more real than a solid wall. And so in your resurrection body, you can just go right through it. You're not limited by a lot of things. Because apparently you can be here and there all at the same time. And the, things happen like that because you're just not confined to the stuff that we are. The resurrection body is going to be cool. I'm looking forward to mine. This one has some issues. <laughs> Maybe yours doesn't, but this got all sorts of issues. And I haven't been good to it either. <laughs> I'm trying to be, but I've spent a lot of time not being good to it at all. And it's letting me know. But I get a new one. So that's pretty cool. Uh, but, you know, that could be, could be a long time from now. I've still got to teach you the Bible 34 some more years first. So... I know. So, so anyway, I got to wait. But, but I like to think about that stuff. I don't get so. I mean, I know I got to live here, but I like to think that there's more. That there's, and I like to I dwell on it sometimes because it comes in the scripture. Paul, they touch on it. But how about how cool is that? What's it, what's your body going to be like? It's going to be not in the image of Adam anymore. I'm messed up. In the, it's going to be in the likeness of the man from heaven. And he did some cool stuff, with, you know, when he came back, right through the wall. Ended did this cool stuff. And that's what happens when he comes back. We're going to, we can meet him in the sky, so apparently we're not limited. But you can just try and check that out for a little while. Can you, can you imagine? Where do you want to go now? Boom, we're there. <laughs> it's just going to be good stuff. So, uh, so we have that going on in the process. Now, uh, in the last little bit of, of the verses there, the, you know, it, the, he builds the whole thing up and the crescendo is 54. Death has been swallowed up in victory. That's what we had to look forward to. As, as believers, we don't have to be fearful of death. The, the thing that grips the world in fear is, is death because they don't know what's going on afterwards. But we don't have to be afraid. It's, it's part of the life thing. It's going to happen. But for us, it's, it's not... It's, it's a, it's, it can be unsettling because we're just not sure, but it's way better. And we have to look at it more as, a, as what, you know, it's what's coming. It's, it's a good thing. But it's, there's a victory in Christ that we have that we don't have to be afraid anymore. And so um, since we have all these great promises and the things that are ahead of us and eternity, Paul goes at the end, he says, so make the best use of the time that you have for the kingdom. Use it wisely because that's where you're going to find life. And uh, that's most of the big issues 
in 1 Corinthians. I'm sure we could find mine. We'll get in 1 Corinthians 16 next week, but that's it for today. If you're watching my video, thank you very much. If you're on TV, thanks. If you use anything we can do, call us, write us, email us. Check us out on the website at keysvineyard.com. We'll do whatever we can for you. We're going to close here tonight with prayer. God bless you.